Uh, I trust that you have God's word with you this morning. Uh, we're going to we're going to do a lot today. I mean, we have a lot to cover. And so I invite you to turn to Second Timothy and go to chapter three. So we go to Second Timothy, chapter three, and we're going to pick up in verse one there. And uh, before we begin to read the word, though, let's uh, let's go ahead and read our statement together. We have a statement that we read. And for some of you, if you're a guest with us this morning, we want to, as we mentioned, we really welcome you. We extend a, a arm of friendship to you. Um, uh, and, and so on Sunday, before we read the word together, we just kind of make the statement. And, and it's a statement saying that this is our spirit. This is our attitude in which we, you know, approach God's word. It's, it's a big deal. God's word is a big deal, and we want to we want to hear as God speaks to us through his word. And so let's just read this together out loud. I'm about to study the word of God. I open my heart to God's message. I humble my mind to his wisdom, and I rest my hopes on his grace. I will accept its rebukes with repentance. I will rejoice in its truth by faith and trust in its promises that can never fail. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can change what it says I can change. As I trust in his grace and spirit, I covenant with God that I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to grow. I'm ready to change and hide his word in my heart to honor Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. And everyone said, amen and amen. So we go to 2 Timothy and and let's just pick up there verse 1 in in chapter 3. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then we look in verse 5 there, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And I underline that because we're going to come back to that a little bit later. So I want to invite you just to kind of think about that for just a little bit. You know, what does that mean? Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word this morning. I thank you, Father, that the word is alive and active and and that, Lord, that it separates between the truth and the false. And and Lord, we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning talking about that. And so, Father, I just pray that you would just reach out and just minister to that one today that that maybe perhaps they they have been pondering the truth and the things of God. Or maybe it's possible that somebody else has maybe even been tempted by by other things other than the truth. And so, Father, we thank you that you are in charge. It's your word. And, Lord, it's your word that we trust. And so, Father, thank you for the word today. I pray for your anointing and a blessing upon it. We ask this in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. Now, I like what one commentary writes about this. He says this. He says, this is like, when you read this text, this is like someone standing in a downpour and predicting that a storm is coming. <laughs> I mean, what a great image. I mean, to understand that. And, of course, everything that Paul is talking about could already be seen in the first century. And, and in fact, this list of sins that we're looking at, we, we find them in this century. 
But what's really interesting is he lists these 18 sins. You can count them, these 18 sins. That in the beginning and the end, there is a word that is phylos, a Greek word that means love, that kind of couches the 18 sins. Now, it is not in the positive, but it's more on the negative side that it is a love about self or, or self-love, you know, focusing on self. And really kind of sets the table, so to speak, in regards to what he says a little bit later when he says always learning. Now, this is the word here, always learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth, never being able to acknowledge the truth. And and truth and false is our, you know, I mean, it's a reality, a part of life. I mean, there are there are true, you know, truths that we find in in God and God's word. And of course, there are there are false truths and we see them in our world today. And they're just as active, you know, uh, 2000 years ago as they are this morning in this century in which we live. Someone once said this and I quote them in the presence of the genuine, the counterfeit is easily detected. I love that quote. In the presence of the genuine, the counterfeit is easily detected. So today, I want to talk about genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Stephen Prothero, an author, of course, a scholar and professor at Boston University, um, he, he writes a book or an article, and the title of the book is this, God is Not One. And in fact, I'm not judging what he has to say. And I I don't think that he's trying to say, you know, anything about his own faith or where he stands in faith. But what he is doing is trying to give us kind of religious clarification, you know, understanding the religions of the world. In fact, he identifies eight different religions of the world. But I'm only going to mention five a little bit later on in regards to understanding those religions, because it's hard to say, okay, here's how we share our faith. I mean, here is how we testify. I mean, to those individuals, unless we kind of understand a little bit of where those individuals are coming from. Does that make sense this morning? And so he kind of gives us, you know, a little bit of help. In in clarification, but we look at the title of the book, God is not one. And I want to ask the question, nobody needs to respond out loud, but I want to ask the question, what does that make you feel? I mean, when you you read the title, I mean, what what comes to mind when we we say that or we read that that statement that God is not one again, he's not making a statement of where he is spiritually or as far as his theology goes. But what he does is he writes, he begins to point to, you know, the reality of one of the newest religions that's out there. One of the religions that has become kind of almost a fad and and a movement among this culture in which we are living today is politically acceptable. It's it's, it's organizationally expected. And it is a, a movement that has become universal and absolutely has saturated our culture. And it is this religion that we call or identify as tolerance. You know, that, that, that we are to be tolerant. Now, now to really dissect this, I, I want to look at kind of a macro view of tolerance, really kind of the big picture idea, and then the, the micro view a little bit closer or more intimate understanding in, in regards to the theology of it. So let's begin like this. We talked about a definition of religious tolerance. Let's begin with that. So by definition, religious tolerance is people allowing other people to think or practice other religions and beliefs. Now, we understand that concept of religious freedom and tolerance is it's very American. I mean, it's very, very much a part of a free society. We understand that. And, and it is the concept of allowing individuals 
to believe in and practice and promote their religious choice without repercussions. And so tolerance is wonderful in that it allows us to listen and it allows us to learn and we kind of grow together, so to speak, and, and, and you know, come to our own understandings. But yet we sometimes think when we talk about religious tolerance, now bear with me, Sometimes we talk about religious tolerance, we we think it's refraining from criticism or that it's essential uh, that we we have this religious tolerance and and then that we claim that no religion is wrong. And people say, well, if we do, we say, okay, that's wrong. Then people say, well, that that's not being tolerant. You know, that that doesn't sound very tolerant. And, And so one scholar, Alan Levinovitz, he teaches that this approach is fundamentally misguided. So. He talks about tolerance. It's not synonymous with being or believing that someone else is right. That's not tolerance. In fact, I quote him. Here's the quote. I think you have it on the screen there. That tolerance is the virtue that allows you to be with people whose life is different without throwing a temper tantrum or a punch. I mean, that's kind of in layman's terms, but allows us to be, you know, in, in a relationship with people and. And, and, you know, have conversations with people and to be generous in our listening in such a way that there is a kind of a, a communication that is happening. And remember, communication is always two way because it's not just one way. It's not just us saying what we think, but it's being open and listening. Maybe what possibly that other people are thinking. Now, the fantasy that makes so many people feel good is the idea that all religions are the same and fundamentally compatible. So they have this idea that, OK, you know, all religions are part of this mountain. That's kind of the illustration. And, you know, one faith is on this side of the mountain. Another faith is on this side of the mountain. This faith is over here. and This religion is over here. And we're climbing the mountain in life. And then when we get to the top, you know, we're all just kind of working towards the same thing. That, that's what the world would want us to think that tolerance is. But the problem comes when organizations... Like, say, for example, I think of one that's been in the news and you're familiar with it, Scientology. You think of an organization that uses, you know, the guise or the camouflage of religion, you know, to promote things that are unethical or promote things like maybe unethical recruiting or or maybe unethically collect money or defraud people of their money. And so, you know, it's a danger. It's dangerous to be tolerant of everything because it's very possible that there are these practices that do not obviously glorify God and break the law. And so fundamentally, we cannot be compatible with that kind of 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 entity, obviously. So there's a problem there. Now, the biggest problem with cults other than theology is, of course, a sociological one because they're creating these dysfunctional behaviors or or they're doing things like keeping people, you know, from their parents or their family that might, you know, tell them something other than what they're wanting to teach them. And and, and so we understand that. So so it is troubling when we see. You know, the bumper sticker that says coexist. How many have seen that bumper sticker out there? And we see that on the back of cards and, and the idea is that we, we coexist and we're working towards, you know, the unity of all religions. And it sounds lovely. It almost even sounds Christian. But, but that's dangerous because it will mean that people are less likely to fight against injustices and unethical treatment that are camouflaged, you know, by religion. In the very least, but it's also disrespectful because real respect comes when others' beliefs are off track and they are hurting themselves or they're hurting others. And we say nothing about that or we speak not into it. 
and it becomes troubling. So this is disrespectful because if we respect them, we will want to care and protect them. Amen. And then finally, it is untrue because tolerance allows opposing beliefs. You know, to exist as as if, you know, everybody's right. Like, for example, God supports slavery or God does not support slavery. You see, both cannot be true. See, opposing beliefs cannot be true. Amen. And so we understand there, there, there is some things here that we need to kind of unravel or unpack so that we, we know that there is a place for us to stand. Amen. Because, you see, unity, it all sounds civil. But if God is love and we have his love in us and in love, we want others to know God to leave mankind in the darkness is not love. To leave mankind in the darkness, it's not love. What we need to do is is show respect and we need to listen generously and we need to, you know, be careful of, of, of the way that we treat others and and that if God's love is in us, that we are loving to others and in our generous listen listening, that we are learning how to share the truth in love. Amen. You see, you know, projecting the truth or speaking the truth, it does not mean that we need to put on the straight jacket of agreement, as one person said, that we do not need to be confined to say, OK, we have to just all, you know, agree with everybody. Really, what we need is this this gentleman I mentioned in the beginning, um, this author, he says, really, what we need is religious literacy, literacy, excuse me, religious literacy and uh, to claim and to understand that to claim all religions as as being the same. It's really a, a big misunderstanding because the fact is in the major religions of the world, they are asking different questions and they're giving different answers. In fact, we have some examples for you. I'm not going to cover all eight. I want to cover five of them. But we have some examples in regards to the question, really, or the problem that they're trying to solve and their answer is how to solve that problem. So here's the first one. Islam. The problem is pride. They say the solution is submission. I mean, think about it. The solution is submission. Then we have Christianity. We understand the problem is sin and the solution is salvation. So there's two different questions that are being asked there. It's important that we have this kind of, you know, religious literacy here. Confucianism. The problem is chaos. The solution is social order. And then the next one, Buddhism. The problem is suffering. The solution is awakening. And then there's one more Judaism. The problem is exile. The solution is to return to God. And, you know, maybe there's some things there that you say, OK, they're positive. You know, we can find something in each one. But remember, the first century, we spoke about this a few weeks ago, the danger of the heresy in the first century that really was attacking Christianity is that religion that came along and tried to take the best out of all different religions and say, okay, now here's the best of all, but the problem with that is it removes the divinity of Jesus Christ. So, so part of being able to share the truth and to give our testimony is understanding where people are, of course, this religious literacy. So now more of a micro understanding, digging into the theology here uh, in, in regards to, to tolerances. Is, is to understand in the beginning that, of course, it's legitimate for people to seek and find fulfillment in life, as I previously stated. I mean, trying to answer, you know, the deeper questions of life. But when we ascribe to Christian faith or the Christian faith, we must understand that it is substantiated by the authority of Scripture. So what am I saying? I'm saying that as a Nazarene, we believe in, in the doctrines that are 
that are supported and backed by the scripture that we believe in. In other words, the, the word of God, an inerrant word in regards to all things that pertain to salvation. That we know that this is God's word. We believe that God has spoken. We believe that there is a God, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And so we have three persons and one God and that we embrace that. We embrace as Christians, I mean, this is our Christian faith, that, that man is born in sin and that we need the work of justification and regeneration and to be adopted in the family of God and that the Holy Spirit gives witness to that. And, and this is the doctrine that we, we believe in as Christians. Amen. Now, in the realm of Jesus and the apostles, it may come as a surprise that there are moments of intolerance. I mean, because if the fad we find in our culture is is tolerance. And, and I think this is a legitimate thing to think about. If the fad is to be tolerant, then, then ask the question. We should ask the question, where are moments that we can find in Scripture that, uh, of intolerance? And I can't help but think of Jesus, you know, when he's chasing the money changers out of the temple and he was angered by what they were doing. And he was intolerant of their behavior. I, I can't help but think of Paul who warned Timothy to cherish the scripture for it made him wise unto salvation and guard both his doctrine and his conduct. And so that he was to be intolerant of anything that would lead them astray from that. And then we, we have to remember in Exodus chapter 32, remember Moses and Moses had gone to the mountain and I I imagine the great imagery of Moses goes up to the mountain and and the people down in the valley are are feeling like he had had taken too long. And so they melt down their golden earrings and their bracelets and their necklaces. And he melts, they melt all the gold down and they make a graven image of a calf. And, and Moses comes down off the mountain and he sees the people that they're worshiping and they're dancing, you know, around that engraven golden image. And, and, and the scripture says that Moses was intolerant. He was angry at what they were doing. In fact, we, we, if we read the passage, God, he, he was not happy either. And so in Scripture, there are moments of intolerance that we we do not tolerate what is not, of course, the truth as we understand it, you know, according to our faith. So the title, the sermon title is Real Faith or Cult, Real Faith or Cult. And and so, you know, and I, I know I'm preaching to the choir. Maybe we should define what 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 is a cult if we're talking about is it real faith Or is it a cult? Well, let's define that. We have a definition for you. A cult is any misinterpretations of scripture or lack of scripture by an individual that results in people following that individual and their misinterpretations rather than Jesus Christ. So we're defining the cult. Of course, obviously, there are some out there that you've, you've read about, maybe like Jehovah's Witness. And there, there are a couple people in Jehovah's Witness that really are the word. They are the one that speak and they give the interpretation for that, that particular movement. Charles Russell and, and a guy named J.F. Rutherford were the ones that were giving the interpretations. And what they do in that is they, they lift their interpretations up higher than the authority of the Word of God. That's when it becomes a problem. There's another one, um, Christian scientists. They're, 
They're followers of Mary Baker Eddy. So they lift up her words and her interpretations above the authority of the scripture makes it a cult. And then the Mormons, of course, uh, they they lift up Joseph Smith and and Brigham Young. In fact, they have written a whole new Bible and they embrace that as the truth, because it again, it makes their word, their interpretations supreme over the word of God. It makes it it makes it a cult. Now, now, Rabbi Zacharias, who's an apologist, he, he writes about the tolerance uh, or about tolerance and cults. And, and here's what he says. He writes, we are consistently being told in books, articles, counsel, pronouncements and ecumenical conclaves that we must play down the things that divide us and emphasize those things that make for unity. This is all well and good if we are speaking about a firm foundation of doctrinal, moral, and ethical truth, and if we are speaking about true unity within the body of Christ. So that's where the unity is within the body of Christ. Now the next one. But if, as some suggest, this is broadened to include those who are not in agreement with the essentials of biblical Christianity, we must resolutely, this is what he says, we must resolutely Oppose it. And then this immediately brings us back to chapter 3 in 2 Timothy, verse 7. Always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so there are people that have real good. They, they, are, they have a strong religious understanding, but yet they've not discovered the truth. I mean, if the essence of God is love, how do we, we speak the truth? Well, we speak the truth in love. I mean, if that's the essence of God and we say that God is in us and that we have his love in us, then that we're going to speak that truth in love. And, and what does that mean? That means that if, if, if we are loved, that means being loving sometimes means being able to say that you disagree. Did you catch that? Being loving sometimes means being able to say that you, you disagree. In fact, this verse affirms that. That some may be waiting to hear something that is contrary, something that is different than what they've heard. Let's say, for example, Melissa, somebody has had a faith, a particular type of belief in a religion, and it's all they've known. It's the track they've been on, and they seemingly are very adamant. But then you speak because the Holy Spirit leads you. You speak into their life, and you speak truth to them, that of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, the veil is lifted. And they would have never known it and you would have never known it. But because of obedience to the Holy Spirit, there is this revelation that happens because they now have heard the truth that becomes their salvation. Amen. And, and the fact is, some folk may not even really yet understand what they don't understand. They, they may be unable to distinguish between false teaching and, and, and true gospel because they've not you know, been exposed. You know, I, I know some folk. Folks that are, are religious aficionados. Can I say that word? Aficionados. I know some folks that are religious aficionados. I mean, they know theology and they know uh, what it means to, you know, to talk about religion. And, and they can quote scripture better than I can. But yet they've missed who Jesus Christ is. And they, they feel that maybe their faith is about meditation or their faith is about, you know, um, being good or goodness you know, rather than really what it should be about, which is Jesus Christ. In this passage, go back to the word for a moment. In this passage, Paul, you know, was possibly, you know, addressing these ladies because they had bad experiences. And maybe this was part of it. You know, their their response is because they'd had some kind of maybe spiritual bad experience. Maybe they had had a, 
a, a, a, a poor spiritual leader and, and this imposter had affected them uh, financially or maybe emotionally. And I, I think if we kind of look between the lines that Paul, he understood that, that, that oftentimes false teachers prey on those who are vulnerable, spiritual stragglers, so to speak. You know, allowing those that are false teachers to kind of worm their way into our life. And begin to lead us down a road that we shouldn't be going down. And so here Paul's very passionate. He's very urgent about, you know, that we have a good doctrine. And this is why it's necessary that we speak the truth and then we speak the truth in love. I mean, that's the key, that we speak the truth in love. And, and, and of course, not in judgment. I think too often times as believers, you know, we'll share, try to share Christ or we speak in such a way that it puts people at arm's length. And, 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 and instead of wooing them and inviting them into relationship with Christ through our life and our experience and our love, we, we are actually repelling them. And so you say, well, pastor, how do you do that? I mean, I, I don't have a perfect answer, but I know this, that God does call us to speak the truth in love. And, and sometimes it's more profound and it's deeper and more complex than you can ever figure out yourself in your own life of how to reach that person or speak to those good people in love. Heidi and I, um, we moved to Florida about 12 years ago. And this is not about myself. This is not about Heidi and I. But I just want to say this is about God and how he worked. And I could never figure it out. I could never have planned it, could not have planned it because it would be probably you know, maybe too complex for me. But my wife and I moved to Florida about 12 years ago and we moved into a newer neighborhood. We found a house that was just about built. And so we decided to buy this house and Heidi got to pick out the fixtures and the water stuff and all that stuff. So she got to be a part of that. And she bought that. We bought this house and we moved in and there was a house that was already there. And we met our neighbors and the neighbors on the right was was Matt and Frank. Matt and Frank lived to the right of us. Well, they built a house soon on the left side of us, really quick, on the left side of us. And, and John, um, it was Bill and Frank. John and Matt moved in on the left side of our house. And then across the street, a little bit later, they built another house across the street. And David and David moved across the street from us. And for this, this preacher from Idaho, that put me in a place where I began to ask the question, Father in heaven, God, what is my role as a pastor? What is my role as a Christian in this neighborhood? I'm sure many things are flying through your mind right now, but I'm telling you, it was a really kind of a crisis for me. I, I purchased a couple books and I began to read some books and I and I, I literally began to pray and say, Father, how am I to be a pastor? How am I to be neighbor? How am I to be Christian in this scenario? And, and maybe the answer for you would be simple. But for me, it was not simple. God had put us in a scenario that I had to pray. And so I began to reach out and try to befriend the, the, the two guys on the right and the guys on the left. And these guys were kind of so, so receptive. These guys were not receptive at all. But Dave and David, they were open and. And Heidi and I, I remember the first time Heidi and I invited David and David to go to dinner. And we went out to dinner with Dave and David. And uh, we just kind of hit it off. And, and pretty soon those guys were making jokes about me. They were joking about my size. They were joking about different things. And we just kind of got really comfortable with each other. Went out to dinner a few more times. And you know what? I invited Dave and David to Friend Day. And they came to Friend Day. 
And then uh, they came for another, I think it was a Christmas event. And then we opened the satellite campus and I invited Dave and David to come. They came to our grand opening. I never got them to attend on a regular basis, but we just, man, we just loved on them. And we just loved on them. And we just loved on them. And uh, when we were getting ready to move to California, um, they left a card in our front door. They did not like goodbyes. One of the, the smaller David, he, he cries a lot and he didn't want to cry and they do not like goodbyes. So they left us a card. But when I read the card, I cried. Because they said when we moved to this neighborhood, we thought all these other people would be our friends. We never dreamed it would be the Nazarene pastor across the street that would become our best friends. <laughs> Way more complex than I could have figured out on my own. We share the truth. Now, in that, I did not compromise who I was. I did not compromise my faith. I did not compromise my convictions. I just wanted to be Jesus. God will speak truth through you in love. I know we have waded through a lot here. But God, he, he will move and he'll speak through you in love as, as you share Christ. So being loving sometimes means being able to say that you disagree. It means sometimes being able to speak the truth in love. And in fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, we read, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become. Listen to what that means. Once we're doing that, then we grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that, that is Christ. And so now, you see, this is the context that Paul's teaching in the context of bringing unity into the church and, and, and not spiritual immaturity, but spiritual maturity, that in spiritual maturity that we hold each other accountable and we speak truth in love and then we grow in faith because we're speaking truth in love and even correcting one another in love. And we're lifting up Christ because we're speaking that truth in love. And see, this is a type of love. Remember, I mentioned how the sins were couched and the negative, the selfish love. But this is now on the other end of it. And it's couched in the word agape, which is a Christian love. And so we're speaking this love and we're speaking this truth in a way that is lifting them up, in a way that is about others, in a way that is building others up for the glory of God. Amen. So. It means being able to speak the truth. You see, loving means being able to recognize the narrow gate that Jesus talked about. And in this passage where uh, we read about this, it's actually Matthew chapter 7 if you want to look at it. But it's talking about not judging others lest you be judged. And if you seek, ask and not that God will answer. Now, I, I refer to that because it's imperative that as we talk about speaking the truth in love, that we understand that in the very same spirit, God speaks truth to us. And God speaks truth to us in the image or the picture of a father, the father that is merciful, the father that is loving. And I imagine a father that puts his arms around us and a father that, that, that forgives us. And the father that receives us as we are. As he speaks the truth of love to us. And man, that just moves my heart. 
as he calls us to that as a, a church and as a congregation. It's funny, people come up to me and say, Pastor, what do you think? What if such and such happened? Or what if so and so came to church? What if, you know, they, they, they kind of, you know, they test me. And there's really no test. Because you, you receive everyone the same in love. The, 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 the way that God would receive us. Amen. And, and so we have this tolerant father, this image of a tolerant father. And then he moves into this, this illustration of the, the wide gate that leads to destruction. And then the narrow gate that, of course, you know, that leads to salvation. And Jesus says or, or speaks, I am the truth, the way and the life. And no one gets to the Father except through the Son. And so we receive salvation, you know, of course, through the Son, Jesus Christ. And we know that all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. But in the Romans chapter 10, we're reminded that if we declare with our mouth, right, we declare with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead, and we believe that in our heart, then the Scripture says there in Romans 10 that we are saved. Amen. And that we'll be saved because we're declaring that with our mouth and our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, we've said a whole lot here. We're going to take, uh, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper here in just a moment. But maybe possibly the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you about something. Maybe he's speaking to you about someone. And maybe it's someone in your life or maybe they're down the road or maybe in their workplace. And you think it's impossible to reach them. Oh, they're part of this movement or they're part of this faith or they don't have faith. They're an atheist and you think it's impossible to reach them. Oh, folks, I am here to say that God is a God of impossibles. He can do the impossible and it's possible that he might want to reach somebody in your circle of influence, in your space. He might want to reach them if you show the love of Christ to them and you'll be surprised what God will do through you. Amen. Church, let's do that. Let's do that. Let's be mobilized and share the love of Christ. And God will do a miracle through you. I believe that. Amen. I want to invite. Let's stand together as a congregation. Let's stand together. I want to invite our servers to come and receive the elements and and get in place. And in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come forward and receive the elements. And we understand that these elements represent, of course, the, the body of Christ that was broken for you and the blood of Christ that was shed and poured out for you. And as we participate in Holy Communion in just a moment, we are thanking him for salvation. We're thanking him for for new life that we have in him. But I want to maybe ask us to think of it in a little bit different way today. I want to invite you to think of it as the faith that you have in God's ability and power to change somebody's life. You know, there's no question God changed your life. How many here had your life changed by Jesus? God changes lives. That's the power of God and we forget that. I want to invite you as you come that you'll respond to the Lord in this holy sacrament and you'll pray for that person the Lord put on your heart. Maybe somebody that's down the street, somebody you know that seems like it's impossible to reach them. They just don't believe. I ask that God will speak through you speak to you first, speak through you next and speak to them and that they might know Jesus because you're willing to be used by God. I want to invite you as you come and receive communion that you'll have that person on your heart and your mind. You'll be thanking Jesus for what he's done for you, but you'll also be praying.
praying for that one individual that it will be a miracle if God reaches them. You know what? I'm saying that to you. I'm excited in here when I say that to you. You know why I'm excited in here? Because I've seen it so many times. God wants to reach others through you. The enemy wants to discourage you and make you think you can't do it. But God wants to use you. He wants to minister through you. He wants to work through you. I believe that. And I know the enemy would hate for us to believe it ourselves. God wants to use you.